0: There's a fascinating story in Prophets that describes a man by the name of Naval, N-A-V-A-L. So the, um, the, the Prophet basically describes how King David helped this man, he protected his flocks. And when he, when King David and himself and his people, his soldiers needed food, he asked Naval to share some of his wealth uh, to provide provisions, and he refused. King David got ready to attack and kill Naval and his family, but a woman who was the wife of Naval intervened and ultimately was able to give King David food and prevent her husband and family from being destroyed. The word is Naval, which means disgusting, and some say um, repulsive, and Navela is a carcass, And the story goes that after this happened, Naval fell down dead 10 days later. And the Talmud says that these 10 days are the 10 days of repentance. So the question is, what is so emblematic of this story that it is so, you know, key in understanding the 10 days of repentance? Now, interestingly, in our Parsha, the word Naval appears a few times. I'll discuss two of them. One is when the Torah tells us that the Jewish people have acted like an amnaval, a disgusting nation, Rashi explains that that means that they denied the goodness of Hashem, all that Hashem has done for us. Not only that, they attribute bad things to God. God is the one who's done the wrongdoing. And so the Jewish people have acted as an amnaval, a disgusting nation. A second sentence, where God says in his anger that the Jewish people incited his anger, that he's going to give the Jewish people over to a Gai Naval, to a nation. The word Gai also means a nation that is Naval. And he's going to anger the Jewish people with this non-Jewish Naval nation. Says Rashi, what does Naval mean? It means a nation of non-believers, people who deny the existence of God, heretics and apostates. So the question is, why does the word naval sometimes get translated disgusting in being ungrateful, as in the story in Prophets, and as the Jewish people denying the the goodness of Hashem. And sometimes it gets described as a person who denies the existence of Hashem, as in the nations that sometimes unfortunately have had the Jewish people uh, in their control. So my basic thesis is that all human beings know that there's no proper way to explain creation without a God concept. Everybody knows that, all eight billion of us. Nothing else makes sense. There is no possibility of anything else make sense. Everything from the delicate balance of life that doesn't exist anywhere else, to just the way that the human body and people and all creatures function, to the fact that we have Jewish history and world history, It just doesn't make sense without a God concept. But if we admit that there is a God, we have a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of ways that we need to consider acting differently than we might want to act. So the typical two reactions to deny responsibility to God are A, to deny his existence as though he never existed at all and make arguments and justifications to that end, or B, To deny that God is good or that we owe him anything because he's the reason that there's bad in the world, or why doesn't he do anything about the evil in the world? The first way is the way of many non-Jewish people in the world. A different time, we'll talk about those that are monotheists, but the bottom line is even many of the monotheists that are not Jewish will often use religion as a means of writing their own rules rather than seeking the rules of God. So that's not the pristine recognition of God that's necessary in order for a person to admit the truth of how he needs to act. The second way to deny God is that he is not so good to us and we don't like our lives. And why do other people have a 600 foot yacht and uh, the life of Riley? and We have to toil and suffer or bad things happening to good people. That's a second way that people deny God. And that includes, unfortunately, many Jews, even those Jews that truly admit that God is good. Sometimes in some small percentage of the time resort to denial in that they'll say, okay, God is good, but you know, this is really difficult. You can't really expect me to handle this decision according to his rules, because it's just too difficult. He, you know, if he wanted me to act differently, why didn't he, um, why didn't he uh, create me differently or give me a different circumstance? Everybody is capable of that kind of denial. So the point is that the main message of repentance that the prophet is teaching us with the story of Naval, Abigail, and King David is that at the root of not admitting the truth of all existence and the truth of the correct ways to behave and the responsibility to behave that way is the ability to deny goodness when it's done for us. Because at the end of the day, God gave us existence. He gave us opportunity. And for the vast majority of the world, and the vast majority of history, things are really good. And on top of that, all the evil really is a byproduct of either our sins or our previous generations' sins. And that's why a key phrase that we have to say repeatedly in our prayers over these days and on Yom Kippur is, but we and our forefathers have sinned, right? We have to admit that the evil is not attributable to God. Okay, so repentance requires admission of the truth of God's existence and the truth of the good that he has done for us. If we could really internalize this, it would be much easier to understand that when we're not doing that which is correct, we're not following what we know to be morally correct or what the Torah says is the proper way to behave, we're just looking for an easy way out. And we rationalize with various forms of denial. So the exercise is spend two minutes right now, identify the two most frustrating areas of your life. I'm not talking about sins. Right now I'm just talking about areas of frustration that make us feel like our lives are really challenging and difficult sometimes. Look at those two areas and ask yourself, do those two areas serve as a backdrop or as a basis of giving ourselves license to do the wrong thing? Because you know what? It's just too hard. And to me, a big shortcut in self-improvement of permanent change is to be able to identify the things that majorly frustrate us and begin to deal with them differently than we've done in the past. So the question is, what are the two areas of biggest frustration? And the follow-up question would be, what's a new way to attack or address that issue? because that's admitting real responsibility instead of giving ourselves the past, this is an unchangeable situation, it's too difficult for me to handle, it creates too much stress and therefore I can't. We have to break that paradigm if we're going to break denial. Make sense? Okay, so let's take two minutes, okay? I'm gonna press stop on our record I'm here and we'll come back and discuss in about two minutes, okay?